Hello to everyone in Earth, people, Jupiter, and beyond. Welcome to episode six of the Cross Country Sports Podcast. Elijah Zalonki is joining me, Noah Friedman. You hear my voice right now. You get a pretty big alien following. True, we do. And one of the reasons why the aliens are listening in right now is because we just experienced yet another incredible divisional slate in the National Football League for the playoffs. And oh my God, big time. I think what we should do, Elijah, is go through each of the matchups and kind of recap what we saw and talk about it in our own viewpoints, starting chronologically, of course. And this is good. We can get everything out of the way, rip off the Band-Aid, because we're going to have to tell Elijah, the Bears fan, that the Packers are moving on to yet another NSC championship game. And yeah, you know, about you- that, Noah, I think I'm going to start cheating on the Bears. Excuse me? I'm going to start, I think I'm going to start cheating on the Bears, uh, you know, like just, just, just for like the end of this uh, postseason run, I really want to just be able to appreciate football for what it is this next week, because there are so many great storylines and I want to just remove my subjective rooting interest uh, for a little bit. Also because the Bears regime just doesn't work. Like, I don't think... Matt Nagy's the answer, and until they fix it, I just don't see why rooting for them should be a priority. Uh, having said that, obviously, like you know, I'm always a Bears fan, but I'm you know I'm just kind of mad at them, and I really just want to be able to objectively enjoy uh, the matchups that we have coming up because okay, well, we've got some exciting times. L- listen, this isn't the Bears sports podcast. This is oh, no, the cross country sports podcast, and you're you've already uh, basically shattered the ratings for the show because of um, your slander for the Bears and getting completely off topic. So I just want to put that out there. But we need to talk about how the Packers steamrolled the LA Rams. And oh yeah, and if I could get things rolling, I have to say Aaron Rodgers does not turn the ball over. This season, this 2020 season, he just doesn't turn the ball over. No, it's incredible. 296 never. yards, two touchdowns. And even though the Rams game plan worked, where Jared Goff wasn't effective, he didn't even throw over 200 yards, Cam Akers was excellent, 18 carries for 90 yards and a touchdown. It, it's, it's amazing that the Packers were able to still stifle the Rams. And I think that the defense got it done. And even though 18 points is, you know, a really – a good margin for the Packers to hold the Rams to. Uh, I thought that the the Rams defense kind of let up a little bit. Aaron Donald had suffered a side injury against the Seahawks in the last game, and he didn't necessarily look 100%. And that obviously showed at the end of it when you saw our cameras at Fox zoom in on him crying on the sideline after the game was over. Even on the even in the beginning over. of the second half, he wasn't in the game. No, exactly, and. Which, if you don't I mean, have you don't have the the best defensive player in the NFL in the game, something's gonna go awry. Jalen Ramsey was also befuddled by Devonte Adams on multiple routes, including a touchdown route in which he ended up on the left side of the of the field at first, and then ended up moving to the right side pre snap motion and catching a touchdown pass for for uh, a short gain. And when I saw Jalen Ramsey basically go off on his coaching staff about that particular play, I knew it was downhill from there for the Rams defense. So 
I give the Packers credit. Everything worked out. They let the they let the Rams run the offense the way that they knew that they were going to, and yet somehow they were still able to hold them to 18 points. You know, it wasn't Jalen Ramsey's fault that play. By the this way. is true. I understand that, but if you don't have camaraderie amongst everybody, like there are 11 players on that field defensively. There are 11 right. players on the field offensively. If one player is singling out everything that's going on and you're basically blaming it on the scheme that they're running, I, I, I don't know what to tell you. The continuity wasn't there for the Rams defensively is all I'm saying. I don't blame Jalen Ramsey for getting upset about that because the safety should know uh, his area. And I felt, uh, I felt, well, on the one hand, obviously great call by the Packers. Like they schemed their best player open. Uh, but as someone who likes matchups, I like the Jalen Ramsey, Devonta Adams matchup. It felt a little cheap to me, but again, the object of the game isn't to have matchups and see who's better than the other person. The object of the game is to get people open, right? Like to, to move the ball as efficiently and effectively as possible. Uh, also, I disagree with your point about Goff. I think Jared Goff actually played a really nice game. And I know he didn't have over 200 yards passing, but it's kind of hard to get a, to accumulate a lot of yards against Green Bay because of the way their defense is built. As we were talking last week, they play a lot of nickel. They, they're allowed to play a lot of nickel because they're winning so many games, uh, which puts teams in passing situations. And also, uh, Cooper Cup was not in the game, which does matter, is uh, most trusted receiver. Thing is, there's a lot of Rams fans that I've seen on message boards and YouTube videos that are ready to move off of Goff. And I've been a critic of Goff. But when I watched him on Sunday, he really is a gamer. You know, he brings it every week. And I just feel like there's this tendency to give up on quarterbacks so fast, which makes no sense to me because when you look across the aisle you got Drew Brees you got Philip Rivers and obviously you got Brady and Rodgers and you know like Matt Ryan like there are so many old quarterbacks who are still playing at a high level while Brees obviously not playing at a high level necessarily but like Philip Rivers still being productive late in his career uh obviously Tom Brady looks as good as he's ever looked I don't understand why we're counting out all these young guys like well before their eighth ninth and tenth season when they could totally hit their stride they could totally hit their uh, their prime late in their careers and it's just it's just baffling to me i think goff is one of those guys who's just going to get better with age and we've already seen him make big throws and key moments in huge playoff games including that one against the saints back in uh, 2019, the 2018 season. Um, and like really this, this, apart from the one Super Bowl against Belichick, um, Goff has had a really nice career in the playoffs and really it's just, I, I feel like there's a lot of recency bias surrounding quarterbacks, specifically in the NFL that needs to be, um, nipped in the bud. Having said that, um, Rogers just put on a clinic, you know, he was amazing. And the, the thing that I'm excited about this week is that we got the two greatest quarterbacks of our generation facing off for the conference championship. And 
even though they're both might be technically past their prime, they still seem to be playing like they're at their peak. I think Brady still looks like old Brady. Rogers, I think, actually has lost a step, but it's not really noticeable because he doesn't really need to be like that agile guy he used to be. And he's still able to move a lot. Like he's, it's not like he's, it's not like he's uh, a statue back there. Um, but the only thing that's scarier than Aaron Rodgers with a run game, or maybe not scarier, but about as scary, is Tom Brady with a bunch of weapons. Because when you think about it, though, like both these quarterbacks, right? Obviously, they're both great. They both are in. Situ- they're, they're finally in situations that completely maximize the best of their ability. Rodgers is the scrambler. Rodgers is the guy that that plays kind of to the beat of his own drum and is known for improvising. And he's in a situation where he's able to keep that, um, keep that element of his game. But like he's able to, to, uh, to use that element of his game because – they're able to keep the defense off balance with a run game led by Aaron Jones and uh, Brady, on the other hand, um, you know, the one thing that we always said about him in new England is he doesn't really have the weapons, you know, to, to be successful besides, you know, Gronkowski and Edelman, you know, like he never really had like that big receiver, but now he's got a whole bunch of receivers at his disposal. And so really this year we've seen the two best quarterbacks, at least in my opinion, you know, obviously, you know, Peyton Manning is in the conversation, Mahomes, Russell Wilson. But um, in my opinion, the two best quarterbacks of our generation, we have them in meeting in the championship because they've finally both been put in the most ideal position to succeed. And I'm, I'm, just, I'm just so ridiculously hyped for this game on Sunday, even though obviously I don't like the Packers at all. I'm putting that aside for this weekend just to enjoy it because it's going to be super exciting. So I want to make quick points before we move on to the next game that we want to talk about on Jared Goff. When you offer a quarterback $134 million over four years, it's really easy for him not to perform up to his standards. Another point, he was playing again post-surgery on a broken thumb on his throwing arm. So he wasn't necessarily 100%. Then you also have the scary thought if you're a Rams fan that if he does go out, you don't have your backup John Wolford who had been there. You have Blake Bortles who hadn't played a snap in God knows how long. Blake Bortles! Blake Bortles, yes. Jason Mendoza. Shout out the good place. Always shout out. And also if Bortles somehow isn't the right guy, then you have Johnny Hecker, the punter, as the emergency quarterback. So that's my point on – offering quarterbacks who aren't necessarily proving themselves over hundred million dollars over a certain amount of time. It's why the Eagles fans are restless with Carson Wentz, but we'll see how that works out when they hire a new coach. Still don't get that. Still don't get that. Well, I kind of get that, but kind of. So no, that's a great point. And thank you for mentioning that. Cause like, yeah, I mean, not easy to play quarterback on a broken thumb. The, The thumb, you know, is what makes humans cooler than other animals. And by cooler, I mean, smarter, I guess, or, more uh dexterous um so you know if you're not able to use it properly but he looked good you know he was making his throws the thing is i think the the one thing i would say about his game is he was just a little bit too 
conservative maybe, but also Packers have a great secondary and I don't blame them for not taking shots down the field because you can't afford to lose possessions against Aaron Rodgers and the Packers really, you know, also correct me if I'm wrong, but Miles Garrett for the Browns, he was on the sideline for a lot of the game as well. If I remember correctly, like he was, he, he missed a lot of, he missed a good bit of time against the chiefs, even in key moments. Yes. And, you know, I feel like the NFL has made this, this huge effort on making the game safer and protecting these players and reducing injuries. But why is it that two of the best pass rushers in the league are injured in the playoffs? You know, I don't think it's ever been about making the game safer. It's always been about protecting the quarterbacks, keeping the quarterback safe. NFL doesn't care about defense. They don't care about defense at all. True. That's and and, and I feel like that's another topic for another podcast that we should definitely talk about examining uh, further issues that the NFL has has gone through in, in recent times. And we'll definitely get into that. I think that that's a great point that you're making as well. But the main point to put a ribbon on this uh, Packers Rams matchup from this past Sunday um, has, or yeah, this this past Saturday, beg your pardon, has um, pitted Aaron Rodgers in another great place for the destiny in his career, uh, solidifying himself as the first ballot Hall of Famer and doing it so, uh, as you mentioned, Elijah after his prime. So I want to move on to the next game because we had the Buffalo Bills taking on the Baltimore Ravens, and I pretty sure both of us talked about in the last episode of the podcast about how we could possibly see a lot of offense in this game. And we saw none of that in this game. The Ravens put up three points, but obviously the biggest story of that game was the uh, 2019 NFL MVP, Lamar Jackson, uh, bowing out due to a concussion, which of course is just absolutely devastating in its right own mind. You're basically taking uh, the engine that steers your offense away and putting in a guy, Tyler Huntley, who has, hasn't yet proven himself at that high of a level. Very solid quarterback at the University of Utah, but... It's I admit, going... I did not know who Huntley was. Okay, so there there you go. If you don't live on the West Coast, you really don't know a whole lot about the Pac-12 or the Mountain West. And Tyler Huntley is... Uh, yeah, that, it, it, it's arguably to say. And obviously, most sports fans come from the Midwest, the East, and they don't... And well, yeah, we're too busy like, watching huh? teams that win in college football. Right, so... Um, Elijah, I wanted, I wanted to ask you about this matchup as well, because, uh, did you even see the Ravens scoring three points? And I I know that the Lamar Jackson injury obviously hinders the ability for the offense to move, but for them to score three points for their field goal kicker, who, well, yeah, that's the big story to me, two field goals. That's, that's the big story to me is that early in the game, Lamar and Gus Edwards, by the way, who I don't understand why they took out so early. But um, Baltimore, they were moving the ball really well, uh, actually. Um, but they were missing field goals, which is just not expected anymore. I actually – I think that in today's NFL, the most important positions are um, – the most important positions are quarterback, receiver, and kicker. Um, I know that that's not a popular opinion. And usually I'd say pass rusher, but, um, but 
you know, like you, you got to have a dependable kicker, especially in the playoffs. Um, and in this game, Justin Tucker didn't come through, which is surprising because he's generally considered one of the best kickers of our generation and of all time. Um, having said that, uh, I mean, yeah, like ultimately uh, the defense has really stepped up for both teams. I want to uh, credit the Bills because they do seem to be really, really cohesive on defense. They were all running to the ball. And I noticed that even when Lamar or J.K. Dobbins or Gus Edwards made a man miss, there was always another man in the area to, to bring him down. Like there were always 11 guys going to the ball, which sounds like a cliche, but it's a thing that a lot of defenses uh, in today's NFL are not as skilled at. And I noticed that the Bills were doing that really, really well. Uh, Josh Allen played, had a modest game, but he did well enough to win, obviously. Um, just another thing, another narrative that I don't like is obviously, you know, as someone who defends young quarterbacks, I want to remain consistent, is uh, there's this narrative that he's only averaged 13 points per game in the playoffs, but I feel like it just doesn't do the playoff game is just this given the context, you know, his first game, he was a rookie second game. The Ravens just couldn't stop the run. He put up 500 yards, but like, you're not going to win a playoff game when you can't stop the run. Like there's no, no if, ands or buts about it. You have to be able to stop the run to win third game. He won. And then on Saturday, you know, it, it's not like they weren't moving the ball because they were, it's not like the, like the bills flat out stopped them because they didn't, you know, the, the Ravens were getting first downs. Um, but you know, like the Ravens as a whole, they just lost, like they were the worst team. They were dropping passes. I think JK Dobbins had a big drop early, really nice player, by the way, but he dropped a pat, he dropped a big one early. Um, and yes, like obviously the pick six was egregious. It was a terrible throw by Jackson, but it's not like there weren't any Ravens blunders that led to that moment because there were a lot of blunders by every player. Um, not every player, but by many players on the Ravens. Uh, I would like to see Lamar Jackson with a better receiver room. Uh, nothing against the guys he has, but I think they would benefit from having a really big name guy. Um, like a Julio Jones might be on the market, on the block. Uh, Allen Robinson could be a guy that I could see going to Baltimore. It's a lot of things that Baltimore could do this offseason and should do. Uh, because at a certain point, they do need to open up the playbook a little bit more for Lamar especially in uh, late, late in playoff games when they're trailing, uh, the, the offense is a lot more limited when they don't have that one bona fide wide out. Um, having said that, you know, I want to you know, give credit to the Bills where it's due. Like I said, defense played really, really well. And Josh Allen did, uh, did what he needs to win. And Stephon Diggs, I got to say, he's a really good leader in the sense that you want to get his ball, you want to get the ball in his hands in key games because good things happen when he has the ball. So I like the point you made about the wide receiver room for the Baltimore Ravens. And I think it's very difficult when you are a run happy offense and you have weather elements that hinder you from even moving the ball down the field on any given normal night. So for the Ravens to try to move the ball and even get Justin Tucker moving into field goal range to begin with is difficult in itself because the wind played a huge factor in this game. Having said that, Justin Tucker, before this game, 
had made 290 career field goals out of a possible 318 attempts. I did the math, and that's 91.2%. It's an incredible clip. He ended up going one of three in the game, and his tweet, I thought, was kind of uh, symbolic of how the game ended up going. And The tweet just said, sorry. That was it. And what did he say? It just said, sorry. That was all it said. It was very interesting. So that if you don't have anything working, and, and I, I know that I'm comparing the Ravens offense to an engine, if you don't have anything working, then you're destined to lose. And it doesn't oh, matter yeah. who you're playing. So again, I still hold this to be true that the Bills are the most balanced team in the NFL. I do. I truly I'd agree to that. that. And, we, and, we, and we can possibly see that in a potential uh, AFC uh, championship matchup with the Chiefs, but we'll get into that in a, in a little bit. But I thought that the turning point, of course, like you mentioned, was the 100-yard, 101-yard uh, TD return by Teron Johnson, who, by the way, had one of the funniest moments at the NFL Combine a few years ago when he was coming out of oh, Louisiana. Boy, Tech. Do you remember what happened? He got hit with a football, but he was he was cool about it. Correct. It was amazing yeah. because it. And for those of you who don't necessarily watch the NFL Combine, um they have positional players go through drills to try to build up their draft stock. And Teron Johnson ends up going through a drill in which you have to run across the field and catch footballs at a very fast pace. And unfortunately he looked the wrong way on one of the routes and got hit in the head, but he played it cool. He still went through the entire drill and finished it, which, you know, give him credit. So that's the guy who ended up making that big play for the bills and the bills ended up seeing something in him. So good for him for what he did. Smart Again, play, too, to know the ball was going to Andrews. What was that? He, he knew the ball was going to Mark Andrews. And, he did, and, and he undercut the route, and he did a great job. Trust me. When you have a defensive-minded coach like Sean McDermott and a defensive coordinator like Leslie Frazier, who have had years of experience scheming against really good offenses, that's going to work out in your favor. Don't get me wrong. Oh, my God, yes. And so, I just, it, it, imagine it's, that. It's incredible what the Bills have done in the past three years. It's It's absolutely incredible. And – Again, like you said, Josh Allen played well enough to win. Guess what? They're going to need more out of him in the next game. And like I said, we'll get we'll get into that. But I think what the Bills have been able to do this season has been nothing short of remarkable. And it's disappointing to see what the Ravens became on the offensive side of the ball, especially after Lamar went out. I don't know if him being in the game the entire time would have necessarily affected the outcome. I really don't because, of course, it's showed on the scoreboard. But um, we'll never know. And – I think the Ravens really need to evaluate that side of the ball, see if they can get something more going, maybe make a a coordinator change. Greg Roman has been really good for Lamar Jackson in the past, but maybe he's not the right guy anymore. Maybe they need a more pass-happy guy. Uh, But he's proven to me, Elijah Lamar, that is, that he is able to throw football down the field and and do so accurately. Can he do it consistently, though, is the question. No one one knows. So that's – that's something that I think we'll have to uh, explore, um, of course, going down the line. Um, He's going to miss throws, but the thing is, every quarterback misses throws except for Aaron Rodgers. Like, that's just the way it is. That's the way it's always been. Um, but the thing, like, you can't hold Aaron, like, Aaron Rodgers can't be the standard because he is just the greatest. Like, he, he's the best, but, like, no one's, no one's really cut from the same cloth except Mahomes, I guess. But um, but in the case of of Jackson, again, he's still young. He's only twenty four. I still think his future is really bright. Like he, he's only going to get better. And I do like 
I actually I love Greg Roman. I think he's an incredible offensive coordinator. A lot of fans would disagree with me, a lot of Ravens fans especially, because he does get very, very conservative. But I like quarterback. I like prioritizing running the ball and winning the line of scrimmage because that is generally a highly effective strategy. Having said that, I do think the Ravens need to move on from him because at this point they should be trying to open things up a little bit more for Lamar Jackson. Not necessarily every game, you know, because obviously the Ravens are able to win. Like Lamar's won over 80% of his starts as a, you know, like in this run for run first option heavy offense. But I'd like to see them expand things a little bit uh, going forward. And hopefully, um, hopefully they get the right offensive coordinator for that. Uh, that said, again, I do like Greg Roman because of what he's done with a lot of mobile quarterbacks. I think he's really good at maximizing their ability. Um, Colin Kaepernick specifically, I oh, think, yes. is a name that you really should mention in association with Greg Roman in the development of that guy. There was that one game, uh, the uh, Packers and 49ers 2012 season, 2013, when the Packers just could not stop the Niners run because Kaepernick was just like, he was all over the place. Like they, they could not contain him, could not keep him in the pocket. And that's really a testament to Greg Roman uh, for his offensive team and Kaepernick for being a great quarterback. Still don't know why any – that's a whole – I'm not going to open that rabbit hole right now. But, um, but, um, but yes, ultimately, I still think the future looks bright for Baltimore with Lamar Jackson at quarterback. Uh, and it was really a shame to see him go down. But, um, you know, it's part of the game. And uh, I'm sure, you know, he'll bounce back strong next year. And I would not be surprised to see the Ravens go even further. Um, but we'll see. You know, it's always – Always fun to speculate. Um, but like you said, you know, we're talking a lot about Josh Allen and we should discuss his upcoming opponent because they are pretty good as well. Uh, Kansas City Chiefs. And uh, they had a really interesting game against the Browns with a couple of calls that really infuriated me just as a football fan. Um but the big storyline there is Patrick Mahomes and his concussion. Um, hopefully, obviously, you know, hopefully he's okay. Um, obviously, like I said, like that is a part of the game players getting hurt, but you know, like it, it was, I gotta say like, it was impressive that the chiefs were able to still win despite losing their starting quarterback. But um, I mean, especially one of that magnitude, um, but that game, man, that was, First of all, I wanted to ask you, I guess, like, how do you feel about that that fumble? You know, at the end of the first half, Browns are down 16-3. to three. Uh, Baker Mayfield is throwing darts, leading his team down the field. And they, they all, like, they, they're one yard. Like, he throws a, a nice pass to Rashad Higgins, who gets it at the three-yard line, turns upfield, dives for the end zone, and Sorensen comes in, leads with his helmet, no call, and which, by the way, I don't mind that there was no call there because I don't think he was trying to injure the player. But, um, but you know, obviously knocks the ball loose and Higgins fumbles 
into the end zone. It goes out the back of the end zone or the side of the end zone. And the Chiefs get the ball and end up turning it into three points to go up 19 to three, as opposed to being up only 19 to 10 or 16 to 10 at halftime. How do you feel about that? Because I have a lot of thoughts about that rule. Um, yeah, so I, I do too. And I this was the one game that I closely pay attention to because I actually was assigned the highlight at work. So I was able to oh, watch every single play develop. And when that touchback happened, I told everybody in the room, I said, that's going to be the difference in the game. I know that we still had an entire half to play, but somehow that was going to be the difference in the game. And <laughs> we, had the same, we had said the same thing. You, you can now put the touchback as part of Cleveland playoff House of Horrors because you had the drive, you had the fumble, now you have the touchback. And okay. oh. you, you, no. you do. I'm, I'm sorry. No, I have no, to be no a- you're right. Look, you are, you are right, Noah. The one thing I will say is, uh, but this is a whole other conversation, but I don't consider that a part of Brown's history. I consider that a part of Ravens history because that was the Ravens franchise. And like, I, I just, I, I cannot like, because it is the new Browns, you know, that were founded in 99. I just, I, I cannot fathom associating their history with the history of the team that moved from Cleveland to Baltimore. I just, I just cannot see, like, I, like, it, it, it just, that just doesn't make sense to me. The Browns, like, these Browns are a different team. Like, they're an expansion team. And the old Browns are the Ravens now. So I just cannot fathom, associate, I guess, yeah, I, I just can't, like, in my mind, I, I just, they just, they, they aren't associated. But at the same time, like, I know I'm, I'm unpopular in that belief. And in general, yes, you're right, like, you know, when you're looking at the history of teams called the Cleveland Browns, the catch, or not the catch, but the drive, the fumble, and now the touchback, like, that does make a degree of sense. So that that was, of course, the big momentum shift. And I I knew that it was downhill from there. I, I, I did. I, I was surprised that the Browns even came back to, to make it a game, game late. And um, another thing about the Mahomes injury he initially suffered some sort of foot injury and it was on the touchdown pass to Travis Kelsey where he got his body wrapped around and he ended up getting it caught underneath a Cleveland Browns defender. His toe, I believe. Yeah, it was, it it was his big toe. That's what uh, Tracy Wolfson of CBS ended up saying was the reason why he ended up going to the medical tent to begin with. So I, I, I knew that there was concern there. I was surprised that he even stayed in the game at that point and for him to end up being injured on a designed run on third and one and not even making the line to gain at that point, which led to the concussion. That was scary. And I, everybody was holding their breath at that time because we knew who was coming in to play quarterback after that. It was Chad Henney, Anything 13 year NFL veteran. Who, by the way, has his own LinkedIn page. You should go request him on LinkedIn because oh, I should. That's I've already idea. done it, and he hasn't gotten back to me. We're recording this on Tuesday the nineteenth. Uh, so, Chad, if you're listening, get back to me. But he's very busy right now. He's right now the incumbent quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs, who will be slated to starting in the uh, AFC Championship game if Patrick Mahomes doesn't clear concussion protocol. So, with that which being I said, I think he will. Which I do too. 
But Chad Henney's probably spending this week pretending to be Josh Allen for the scout team. True. I mean, I, I think they're still probably watching film from Sunday, but um, right. that's, oh, that's true. That, that's true. They probably still haven't uh, gone out in practice yet, and they don't want to until their 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 leaders back on the on the field. But going back to um, the scenario in which Mahomes got hurt, he gets hurt. Henny comes in. He ends up. I don't understand his play. It was incredible. He scampered right near the first down marker late in the fourth quarter, gave up his entire body. He looked like Patrick Mahomes, honestly. And what does Andy Reid do? And Eric Bannemi, what do they call? They call a really short crossing route to Tyreek Hill that sealed the game, made it 22-17 fine. Hated it. Oh, my God. I, it Hate was so call. ballsy. It was incredible. Hate that call. I, understand. I know it worked. I know it worked, but like calling a pass on fourth and inches, I, I just, I just, it does not sit well with me. That is a quarterback sneak down in distance. If you can't get it on a quarterback sneak, you don't deserve to win. But they got the first down and it worked. So right. I guess I can't hate the call, but oh my God, like, oh, I, I, it bothered me so much. Like, if that was my team calling that pass on fourth and inches, oh, wait, my team does that all the time. But um, <laughs> in general, it was just like, I just really, really, really don't like that call, but I guess you know it did work, so I can't can't complain about it. So, also, that concussion was terrifying because I think what happened is Mahomes, when Mahomes stood up, he was all wobbly. But I think that was just because he one he had just gotten hit in the head, and two his foot was damaged, so mm-hmm. it looked like he was just out of balance for a second. But, like, oh, it was just a really scary thing to see, like, after he got hit in the head, to see him all wobbly on the field. But um, but evidently, he's cleared uh, he's cleared concussion protocols, but I don't know if he's been cleared to play yet. So I, I want to go back to, to what ended up happening on that particular play with Mahomes, and that right. was um, Mac Wilson, who is just a big guy, um, ended up just barreling onto him and Obviously, he meant no intent for for injuring him. And, and oh, Mac Wilson made a great but play. When you when you have two hundred and thirty three pounds of force on you on a third and one situation, I don't care who you are, except maybe Josh Allen, who could probably take that hit and be completely fine. But um, yeah, it was very scary when he couldn't get up and probably didn't know where he was. He probably thought he got knocked back into Siberia for all we know. And yeah, but. Guess what? Chad Henney held down the fort, and Andy Reid trusted him. And I want to disagree with you on the hatred for the call, because when you have a burly old veteran who hadn't thrown a playoff pass to that point, someone who finally was able to get comfortable in the late stretches of the game and have somebody reliant like Tyreek Hill, who you knew was going to get the first down, especially when pre-stat motion is very keen in the Kansas city chiefs offensive scheme. Uh, it game. worked out and it was really easy. And well, the play before Henny had taken that big hit when he scrambled on, I think it was fourth and 19 or third and 19. And he wasn't necessarily in the motion to say, Hey coach, I think I'll go for this quarterback sneak and try to, you know, damage myself even further. Don't get me wrong. I thought Le'Veon Bell or Daryl Williams, whoever was in the backfield during that game probably would have ended up getting that fourth and inches call. And like you said, and I understand that, but guess what? No one saw that play coming. That's what made it so special. That's what makes Andy Reid such an amazing coach to entrust Chad Henney of all people 
to try to win the game on that one play. It's also what makes Andy Reid, you know, it's also kind of what made Andy Reid a, what's the word? You know, like that, that guy who couldn't win the big one because of his tendency to try to outthink the room in situations like that. Uh, of course, now it works. And, you know, it's been working for a while, uh, especially last season and this season. But at the same time, I, I don't think I'll ever like that decision. But it worked, and, you know, Chiefs, Chiefs fans aren't complaining. A lot, of, a lot of questionable decisions to pass the ball for Kansas City this game. The Henny had this one interception Yep. Where he just threw it into the back of the end zone. Looked like a it was an arm punt, basically. Looked like a kickoff. Um, and arm punts are great on third and fifteen, but when it's first and twenty or whatever, uh, not really, not really necessary. Um, also, you know, I just want to say you got to credit Baker Mayfield because he bounced back from that fumble touchback, and then he bounced back from the well, and like he he came out. Start second half, made a horrendous through a horrendous interception to Tyron Matthew, made a really nice play. Um, but then Baker came back and led a couple of really nice touchdown drives, which I just got to give him credit for for you know keeping his poise, keeping his composure against the best team in the AFC, you know the number one seed, um, which just makes me think that same old Browns isn't is not a thing anymore. Yes. Like, this is just another bad, um, like, just another example of Cleveland fans being unlucky. But at the same time, there's a lot to look forward to in Cleveland. Um, They have a lot to build on. They have a real identity. And their quarterback is legit. And I think that he is capable of going on a playoff run in um, for – well, just – in general, it, over the course of his career, I think that he's going to have many opportunities for big playoff moments, but it just wasn't meant to be this time around. True. And one more final point before we move on to our final game that we're going to talk about, and that was the touchback. And I wanted to talk more about the rule with you because Same. I don't think Thank we necessarily you. addressed that. And I thought Gene Steratore, who's the rules analyst at CBS, made a great point because they went to him immediately after the touchback happened. And Jim Nance said, Gene, what'd you see? And Gene said, that is not a reviewable play. So first of all, that is egregious. The fact that you can initiate contact on a receiver and have it be a fumble, but then not hold the defensive player accountable. And Daniel Sorensen, I thought that, Sorensen led with the crown of his helmet and right. he made contact with Richard Higgins helmet and it adjusted the, the play and caused him to lose control of the football. I really do think that's what ended up happening. And it's so ironic as well because every turnover is reviewed. That's one of the rules that the NFL has now gotten right. No matter, you don't have to burn the challenge. You don't have to burn a timeout. So every Scoring play is reviewed. Every turnover is reviewed. And for the officials to just look at the play and say, okay, we see that it was a touchback. Everything that that that's fine. But when you have a defender initiating contact in college, that would be targeting. 
Sorensen would be ejected from the game. Big the time. NFL is a lot more lenient about that call, even in the first place. But for them to review the call because it was a turnover in the back of the end zone, or the side of the end zone, and for them to say that's not a reviewable play, they need to go back in the offseason and look and say, hey, Cleveland deserves to ha- keep the football because the reason why Richard Higgins lost the football is because Daniel Sorensen made an illegal play. So, well, I honestly, like I said, I didn't mind so much about leading with the crown of the helmet because I don't think Sorensen was making a dirty play or anything. I just think that I agree. it was it not wasn't. the right move. But, like, my big problem is just the nature of that rule. I think that – of the touchback rule, that is. I think that it is superfluously punitive – punitive. Am I saying that right? Punitive? 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 Yes. It's just – it's unnecessarily punitive. Punitive. It's one of those words you just can't say. <laughs> uh, but um, but uh, I just think, like, it's just bad game design that a ball carrier could fumble at any point on the field – and if it goes out of bounds, it remains the fumbling team's ball. But once they're in, uh, once they're getting closer to the goal line, you know the place where it's the most. Uh, it makes the most sense to actually put the ball in harm's way. That a fumble leads to the other team getting the ball at the twenty yard line. If it goes out of the back of the end zone, I just I think that's such a. I just think it's it's a punishment that does not fit the crime, in my opinion. And I think that the ball should be placed at the spot of the fumble in those situations if it goes out of the back of the end zone. Or it should just be like a loss of down. It should be some kind of penalty. But I think that the offense should keep the ball. And this is coming from the biggest defensive advocate you probably know. Like, I'm a big defense fan. I've always – I like football because – of defensive strategies, defensive schemes. But in this case, I think that fumbles that go out of the back of the end zone, I just, it just feels like such a, it's just such a, such a needless punishment, such a, such a, an, in a disproportionate consequence for the ball to, to automatically go to the other team for something like that. And I've seen it cost teams and players, huge games and it's just it's just i think bad game design um and yes i know players should hold on to the ball but i also think that in order for the defense to get the ball they should actually recover the ball like they should take it from them and get it in their hands the ball going out of the back of the end zone isn't a testament to defensive prowess like it's not a takeaway it's a turnover by default and I just don't like it. Um, and I hope the NFL looks at it in the offseason. But I don't think they will. Um, at the same time, you know, uh, there's a lot that the NFL should look at. And this play is a great case study for a lot of different things um, that will be discussed in the offseason and the owners meeting and such. It is. And I, and I was going to touch on that. I think it's a very subjective, subjective thing. And you bring up some good points. Rashard Higgins was cheated. Because he lost the football because of an illegal hit. So if that's the case, then yes, the Browns absolutely deserve to have kept the ball anyway. And they, and they would have, if they'd gone to review and they'd said, Hey, Sorensen led, that's going to be a penalty. They're going to put the ball at the half yard line because he was already inside the one. 
He didn't break the plane of the he didn't break the plane of the goal line. So yeah, I felt I, so bad for Higgins but, he was making plays all game. But if, like you said, the team doesn't end up recovering the ball and it goes in the back of the end zone, then yeah, I do deserve. I, I do believe that the fumbling team deserves to keep the ball. However, if they dislodge it legally and it goes into the back of the end zone, then I understand that because the defensive player made the play for the ball to go in the back of the end zone to happen. So they deserve to keep the ball. That that's the case. I understand with the full recovery, and I'm really genuinely curious to see if the NFL will go and review this in the offseason. I think they will. So I I'll disagree with you on that point, but oh, no, I, I think they will on so, on so many other points. And and I'm glad that we're talking about this because I didn't necessarily think about a lot of the things that you mentioned um, a few minutes ago in regards to this rule. So it's definitely changed my perception on a lot of it. And well, I'm genuinely curious to see if the NFL will take shape and, and see if they will go and review this. Well, yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad you're able to see my side on this because yeah, it's like, it's one of those things where like the, the thing about football is that like, it's always evolving. And um, you know, while we don't always agree with what the refs do or say, like, they do try their best, I think. And, um, you know, like, it's just, it's just not, um, like, like, it's never going to be a perfect game, but that doesn't mean that we can't keep trying to make it as good and as clean a game as possible. That's a, a very good way to um, wrap that discussion up. So I want to talk about the last game that we saw, which was the last NFC divisional playoff game the Buccaneers coming out on top and beating the Saints and putting a cap on my perfect 4-0 picking record, I might add for it. Oh, yeah, props to you for that. I'm still 2 – I was 2-2. Two two, yep. But you, should, you, should have gone with my gut. You went with Andy Reid's uh, philosophy of being over-aggressive, so uh, that's the that's the result you're going to get. But Oh, yeah, no, I that, went full I went full Reid. You went full Reid. But one of the games that we did agree on was the Buccaneers over the Saints, and that's ended, what ended up happening, the – Bucks scored 30 points and got the win by 10, 30 to 20. And in the potential last matchup between Tom Brady and Drew Brees, it showed with flying colors why our analysis from the last episode was super accurate. One of the things that I wanted to touch on just before we get into anything super specific was Jameis Winston made an appearance and he actually did something awesome. Oh yeah, that was a great play. Yeah, it was a they great the same... play design. Oh my god! Well, yeah, god. They, they took it. They took it from the Bears the week before. Yeah. Um, except this time, uh, it, it actually worked because they, the Saints caught the ball. Traquan um, Smith. Right, Smith. Smith has hands, and Javon Wims has like a basketball hoop in front of him, I guess. But um, regardless, well, yeah, great play. What were you saying? I was. I was gonna say. Javon Wim's hands were probably too uh, fractured from punching CJ Gardner Johnson. Right. Sorry. Yeah, no, honestly. Um, same Go ahead. Miller later in the game. But yeah, but no, I'm just saying like that was a great play design. And um, that, that's the thing. Um, the Saints often rely on tricks and rely on Sean Payton's scheme. And it works, you know, to an extent. But the Bucks, I think we're always going to win this game just because – they have the better quarterback, and they have so many weapons at their disposal. Mike Evans finally caught a touchdown on Lattimore, which was nice to see. Just boxed them out in the red zone. And, God, doesn't Brady look so good? Yes. He looks as good as he's ever looked, I think. I agree. And one of the things that I also wanted to touch on from the Buccaneers' standpoint was the return of Devin White, who 
missed the last game because of COVID protocols. And of course you saw his presence immediately, 10 tackles, one interception. The guy is just a freak of nature. He flies all over the field. Oh my goodness. Like the, the Buccaneers back seven with Levante David and Devin White heading up the linebacking core. And then you've got Sean Murphy bunting who did really well. And Carlton Davis, who's just another outstanding young player and the safety Antoine Winfield Jr. Listen for that name in the coming years because he's going to be a future all pro. This guy is coming to his rookie season and just done an absolutely fantastic job. So the way that he was able to scheme against the saints offense, which of course was lacking because of a 42 year old drew Brees who was not hundred percent. And we know that um, just went to show that the Buccaneers came out and played and did everything right. Smash mouth football and I want to touch on something that you mentioned earlier in the podcast about Tom Brady and how scary he was with his weapons and utilizing those weapons in particular. The way right. that he was able to distribute the ball, absolutely incredible. Let me count. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, eight players caught a touch, uh, caught a pass. Like That's what makes Brady special. It, it is. And he's been doing this DNA formula for years, whether he had Josh McDaniels or Bill O'Brien in New England Bruce Arians, Byron Leftwich in Tampa. His, his, the way that he gets the ball out when he takes the snap and he's in the pocket, the way that he's able to scan the field, his reads are just absolutely impeccable. And he's able to get the job done moving the ball on crossing routes, nine, the, 10 yard gains at a time. So, perfect for him example. To have, um, the running back core of Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette also do well, pick up the slack. They, played an, uh, uh, well enough to win. They had a balanced attack of 30 carries combined. Um, it left the Saints defense off balance and confused. So I give Tampa all the credit in the world. I'm so excited for next Sunday when the Packers and Buccaneers meet at Lambeau Field. That's obviously another discussion that we can have at some point. But the Bucks did a great job, and they were able to get it done, and deservedly so. Oh, yeah. And I just got to say – uh, like one one moment that really illustrated that point about Brady just uh, spreading the ball out is Joe Buck had barely had time to say a rare Scotty Miller sighting and <laughs> Brady looked his way immediately and just dropped a perfect dime between like right in that cover two zone between the safety and the corner uh, and Scotty Miller ran under the ball made a great made a great uh, like a over the shoulder basket catch kind of thing. Um, and that was one of Brady's best throws. And it's just, you know, one example of just how many weapons these guys really have and how good Brady is at getting them the ball. Also, I like this, um, this one-two punch they have with Jones and Leonard Fournette because both these guys are physical running backs who are tone setters, which can like as long as their running game is working and their line is working cohesively, this run game is scary and can keep them in a lot of games. And that's why, I mean, well, I'm not going to make my prediction just yet for uh, this Sunday, but like, it's going to be a close game. I really think it's going to be one of the more exciting games we've ever seen. Um, And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that the Bucks although, you know, they play in Florida and all that, you know, they, although they 
have a lot of great receiving weapons and they're flashy. I think it's those running backs in this running game that is going to, um, that is going to help them a lot on Sunday when they go to the frozen tundra. Um, but man, like we have never, we've never seen this level of a quarterback matchup in any game, in my opinion, because Brady and Rogers are two of the best to ever do it. Um, and so I'm, I'm just stoked. Like that's some of the best football we'll ever see. Um, and then across the aisle, we have the bills and the, the chiefs, which is probably going to be Mahomes against uh, Josh Allen. So two young up-and-coming studs who could run all over the field and drop dimes from pretty much anywhere on the field. Like you could put them in the fifth row and they could probably hit the – they could probably hit whichever goalpost you ask them to. Um, so that's – like really we got a lot of fun quarterbacks in these next few games. Um, so hopefully we get some, some defenses to step up. But uh, I guess we'll see. It's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of fun. Yeah, I I, I completely agree. What, what do you what do you think, Elijah? You wanna you wanna make predictions now, or you wanna record another pod uh, later this week? And and I say we should we should record another pod later this week, just because we want to see the injury report. We want to see, um, you know, like just like if Mahomes. My prediction will be different if Mahomes can't play. Sure. Um, I mean, I still might pick the Bills, but like. If Mahomes isn't playing, then I'm probably definitely going to pick the Bills. So I think we should just wait a little bit, get the injury report. Um, but I will predict right now that both of these games are going to be incredibly exciting and fun to watch. I think that you've basically stated the obvious, and I, I agree with you in the sense that we need to get the injury report. We need to a very lukewarm take. We we need to know if if COVID is playing an issue with any of the four teams that are that are left and. Of course, the big issue we need to know if, if Patrick Mahomes is playing. And and I, I'm sorry, Colin Cowherd. I know you said on your show today that the NFL should postpone the game if Patrick Mahomes is unable to go. Uh, that is showing favoritism. It is unfair. Could not disagree more, Colin. Yeah, I I th- we're we're playing the games on Sunday, and the NFL is too much of a juggernaut that they're going to move uh, one of the games to another date because the star player of the league is, is, is hurt. So wait, did Colin actually say that? Colin actually did say that. that's ridiculous. Said that that's, this I'm sorry, that's ridiculous. Yep. Absolutely ridiculous. Yep. So, um, Absurd. yep. So I think that's a, a good way to, to wrap up this edition of the cross country sports podcast. We're going to be coming at you later this week with more fiery takes and previewing the championship matchups, the early game on Fox featuring Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady as the Packers host the Buccaneers. And then we will also talk more about the Bills and the Chiefs, whether they're new looking or old looking in the later slate on CBS later on Sunday night or Sunday afternoon, depending on where you're watching. And with that, uh, thanks so much for listening. You can get our podcasts on Anchor and those get distributed out to uh, anywhere where you really get your podcasts. So uh, thanks to Anchor for having our platform and um, using us as a, as a reliable tool. Anchor's the best, by the way, y'all should use it. It's, it's great. And I've been very fascinated with how it's worked. And uh, thanks to Elijah for getting us up and running on that. So we're going to catch you for the next uh, edition of the cross country sports podcast later this week. Thanks for listening to this particular episode this week for Elijah Zalanki, Noah Friedman. Thanks again. We will see you later this week.